This is Premium Times Half Hour every Thursday at 11 a.m. Since the military takeover in Niger on July 26, it has been one of the major talks in the public domain. This is one of the many coups that have occurred in Africa since August 2020. And let me give a quick rundown on this coup that has happened in the continent. One occurred in Burkina Faso since January 2022, Guinea since September 2021, Mali since August 2020, and Niger since July 2023. Attempts in the Gambia and Guinea-Bissau were failed. There have also been other coups in Chad since April 2021 and Sudan since October 2021. Countries close to Nigeria, including Chad, which shares a border in the north. You would wonder why this situation is gaining so much momentum and why it really concerns you as a Nigerian and what it means for the West African region. You will gain more clarity in this podcast as I'll be having a conversation with Chiamaka Okafo, Premium Times' senior correspondent covering foreign affairs and diaspora. I am Titi Lokwefadari and welcome to Premium Times of R. This is Premium Times Half R every Thursday at 11 a.m. On this podcast show, we discuss important issues and matters of national importance. Premium Times is Nigeria's leading investigative and accountability platform, and we bring this show to you weekly as part of our mandate of providing the information you need to make informed decisions. This show spotlights exclusive reports produced by Premium Times reporters from in-depth investigations and unique analyses to human angle stories. But before I delve into today's discussion, I'll share some important stories we published during the week. The first report is an editorial titled, Niger Needs Deeper Mediation Diplomacy, Not Military Intervention. The reason for this, according to the article, is because Niger is one of the poorest countries in the world and is also a victim of a callous history and geography. As a result, the Premium Times editorial urged all national, regional and international stakeholders to invest more in mediation and diplomacy above the military invasion of Niger at this time. The next is a special report where Nigerian farmers grown as fertilizer price soars despite increased local production. It is important to note that the price increases despite over $121 million invested by the Nigerian government in the Presidential Fertilizer Initiative. Then we have the last report which is on hydroponic farming, also known as soilless farming, which provides opportunities for young Nigerians, although the report indicates that challenges abound. You can read up on these reports on our website, www.premiumtimesng.com. We'll take a short break, and when I return, we'll continue the conversation on Nijeku. This is Premium Times Half Hour, Every Thursday at 11 a.m. Welcome back.
back. If you're just joining us, this is Premium Times Half Hour brought to you on Premium Times' podcast. I'm Titi Lokwe Fadari. I am with Shiamaka Okafo, Premium Times' correspondent covering foreign affairs and diaspora matters. She has been covering the Niger coast since it began in July and was recently at the Nigeria-Niger border. She'll be sharing new updates based on her reporting on the field. It appears I'm going to give you um, a record, a world record for being the third time um, making a third appearance on this podcast. Drum rolls, <laughs> even GWR has got nothing on this. Welcome again Thank to you. discuss. Uh, welcome again to this podcast um, to discuss um, issues relating to Nigeria and foreign affairs and the diaspora. So again, we are here to discuss Nijeku. Again. And um, I, I mean, it's evident. Everybody knows that you've been all about it. You've been, you've written like several analyses. You know, you've gone on the field, and now it's time to you know bring all of these things into this particular podcast. How many minutes do I have to think to bring all of these things here? So we have like <laughs> say less than thirty minutes. Imagine. Yeah. So let's let's do a little summary of everything. Of everything. All right. So let's start with. I mean, for some people who are not really aware, they, are, they know that there's a coup going on somewhere, but they're not aware about what's, like, how did it start. So, um, particularly speaking to the claim that it is an economic war, in the sense that they are reports saying that the coup is um, a pushback against new colonialism due to a gas pipeline that runs through from Nigeria to Europe, and that um, it's sort of saying that we want to own our resources, you shouldn't, I mean, want to, you know, patch on our resources, want to have be independent. So it's another um, opportunity, like that they said, it's another opportunity for the Nigerians to, you know, push back against um, the hold on their uranium by France. So um, basically, just give us a breakdown. How did the coup start and what's, what's, what's the current development? So, um... Wednesday, July 26th, I was at Abuja Continental Hotel, Old Sheraton, and news came in, oh, the presidential guards in Niger have arrested President Mohamed Bazoum, who is their democratically elected president, was elected in 2021. Interesting thing about his coming to power was that two days before his inauguration, there was an attempted coup. Wow. So it's like the man who, who saw the coup jumped over it and okay, then in the process another coup jumped on him well first it was an arrest and then a few hours later the presidential guards took over and announced the dissolution of the constitution and that's the significant thing that happens when there's a coup once the constitution is dissolved then you know it's a coup automatically um we also know that before it was pronounced a coup some delegation from Nigeria was sent to Niger to speak to the guys, but apparently that wasn't successful because as soon as they left Niger, the coup was announced, the constitution was dissolved, and since then it's been one development to the other. Anyway, there were several calls condemning the coup and calling for the immediate release of um, President Bazoum, which hasn't happened up to today. But it's looking like there's some light. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. The UN condemned, the US condemned, France, Germany, Nigeria, ECOWAS, African Union, 
practically everybody condemned the coup. And once upon a time, we thought that we had moved past the age of coups or military takeover or toppling governments, and we're comfortable with democracy and civilian rule. But we're seeing a new trend in West Africa, also in Africa generally, because then when I say West Africa, I'm limiting it. But from 2019 till date, there's a new trend in Africa. There's been two, um, there's been two coups in Mali, I think. Uh, but just to be on the safe side, you can read up the details on um, Premier Times' website, www.premiertimesng.com. But there's been a coup in Mali, in Sudan, in Burkina Faso, in Mali, in Guinea, and um, now in Niger. So there's been nine coups in six countries within Africa. That should be the accurate um, detail. There's been several coup attempts here and there. There's, there's one in the Gambia. I think there was one in Sierra Leone just recently after that of Niger happened. Um, there's been one in Guinea-Bissau too. So it's it's happened it's it's spreading, and that's what what people say, what they call I think I don't know if it's in security now, but it's called the bushfire effect. It just spreads, mm. and that's what's going on. And my sense is that that's what ECOWAS is trying to avoid. Okay. Yeah, I mean a lot of people say that even you know so leaders in ECOWAS. Aside from trying to curtail the bushfire effect, they are also trying to protect their own administration. Fair enough. Anyway, um, four days after the coup happened, um, the ECOWAS heads of state, the ECOWAS authority, called for an emergency meeting. Um, in case any of us do not know, President Bola Tinubu is the current chair of ECOWAS, so Nigeria is the face of ECOWAS. When we get to the point where I say people think it's a battle or a confrontation between Nigeria and Niger, you can understand why people feel that way because Nigeria's current chair of ECOWAS um, heads of state or ECOWAS authority. And so, it, you know, it's, it's normal um, that whoever wears the crown will take the blame for everything or be the face of everything. I think it's called oxymoron in literature where, mm, yeah. Mm. So that's the case here. How, anyway, so the meeting held on on Sunday, yeah, on Sunday the 30th of July, where the heads of states imposed sanctions on Niger, including travel ban, um, closure of land, air, sea borders, confiscation of wealth, freezing of accounts, and a lot of things. And then, you know, giving a seven days ultimatum to the putschists, the coup plotters, to reinstate Bazoum or ECOWAS will deploy use of force. That particular sentence, phrase, clause, however you choose to describe it, use of force, became the only significant thing that came out of that meeting. Mm. Significant to the extent that you know it led to questions, why is ECOWAS now threatening the use of force? There was a coup in Mali, in Burkina Faso, in Guinea. You did not threaten the use of force. So why is Niger different? But if I, if I attempt to answer it, ECOWAS is also trying to redeem itself. Over the years, it, it's been seen as a toothless bulldog. It bags and bags mm -hmm. and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And perhaps, you know, 
you could also situate it within the first speech that um, President Tinibu gave on assuming chair of ECOWAS or how we would not tolerate coups and everything. And just right after your acceptance speech and, you know, you saying I would not accept any coups, a coup happens right under your nose. Mm. So it's more like, oh, we dare you. Let's see how intolerant of coups you are, how much of a Democrat you are. And then, of course, you threaten the use of us. So I, I think my sense, you know, is that that's, that's what happened there with the threat to use force. And the other could be the general saying, oh, we will not let schools continue. And this, that will happen eventually. If you don't nip it in the bud now, it will go around. And this happened, and we saw that happen in the 1960s, I think, when, you know, military overtake was a thing in, in Africa. It went around. Everybody had a piece of it. You know, and we had our own fair share in 1966 with the Aguirre So back to Nigeria. After that, immediately in the new week, after Sunday, the 30th, um, Nigeria cut off electricity supply to Nigeria. And we know that Nigeria is a major supplier of electricity in Nigeria. And as part of the sanctions, Nigeria started implementing um, the sanctions. I'm not sure what the other... Um, member states are doing so you see why again it looks like it's a war between nigeria, nigeria and nigeria because yeah. it's only what nigeria is doing we see yeah. we know of i mean i'm here i'm reporting that but i've yet to lay my hands on what the likes of ghana or Cote d'Ivoire or benin liberia are doing you know as part of the sanctions but you know, so it brings us back into the, you know, the old or dormant, redundant picture of the big brother role we play across the continent. And here, say, okay, take the lead as we follow. And then the, the borders are closed everywhere. So the seven northern states that border Niger, the borders are closed there. People are, people are having it. You know, people are feeling the effects of the border closure. And so back again, that's why people think it's between Nigeria versus um, Niger. So ECOWAS, of course, um, deployed diplomacy too, conversations. You know, as part of that communique at the end of that meeting, you know, they said they were going to send an envoy to um, to Niger to communicate ECOWAS's position and pass the message to them, and. Um, of course, on that same day of the meeting, uh, the transition president of Chad, Idris Mahamad Debi, was sent to meet with the coup leaders in Niger, and he met with them. He met with Abdurrahman, General Abdurrahman Chiani, who is the coup leader. He met with Mohamed Bazoum, the ousted president, and he met with Yusufu, the former president before Bazoum. And he shared pictures on Twitter. Oh, he had, you know, he accompanied, he conveyed the message. Very nice optics. But from what we see today, it appears that meeting was also also not successful because nothing changed, nothing happened. And ECOWAS, of course, still had to send the Abdul Salami-led um, delegation to Niger. Abdul Salami Abubakar is a, is a former military leader uh, for Nigeria, of course, in, in the past. 
when Nigeria was still under military rule itself. Mm. So he was a military um, <clears throat> ruler or leader. So I, I imagine that informed why he was sent. So let's speak military to military. What is the problem? And then they were humiliated. They weren't let into Niger. The, wow. They alighted the, the aircraft. So after five hours of asking to be allowed to see um, the coup leader, General Chiani, they had to return back to Nigeria. I think they returned on Friday, 1 a.m. Friday morning, back to Nigeria. I mean, even though that details, the detail wasn't made public, but we were able to get that detail and publish it. That this will happen to um, these guys. And in the same vein, too, you know, the whole security reasons thing, um, Niger turned down the meeting request, a joint delegation from UN, African Union, and ECOWAS to meet with them, and they said security reasons, too. Interesting. Um, Victoria Nuland, the... Assist, I think Assistant Secretary of State for the U.S. was also in Niger to meet with the the coup leader, and she was turned down as well. Wow. So, like, so several yeah. slaps in the face. Okay, so let's quickly move on from that. Um, so, over 40 African countries signed an agreement with Russia for military cooperation. Um, this said move is said to be, like, um, related to the beef that Russia has with the U.S. over the war with U Ukraine. Mm -hmm. What does it mean in terms of economic and political control which the West has and is now being, in a way, given to Russia, um, being a Soviet Union country? And do you foresee, like, the relationship or the dependence that Ukraine had with Russia? And now that there's a collaboration with African countries with Russia, do you foresee that dependence Africa, African countries will equally have with Russia and most likely have a, the same situation that we're having as it is with the war. Yeah, so I I don't know if, if I'm qualified to call myself a Pan-Africanist, but I'd start by saying it's time Africa wakes up and takes charge of its own future. And as part of the African Union 2063, <clears throat> a lot of African leaders have touted and talked about African solutions, African problems. And so if we keep running from pillar to post, when exactly are we going to have African solutions to African problems? Um, moving to Russia, um, Russia says it it's advocates to um, help folks break from the shackles of colonialism. And I think he said that a lot as part of the Russia-Africa summit that happened um, last, just last month, I think, about the same time the, the coup happened, you know, and um, so I don't know what the details of these corporations are, of these supports are, or what they'll be looking like. But, you know, understanding international politics, you know that nothing happens without interest. So every party comes to the table with interest, including the African countries that are signed up to that. So that it's a game of interest, and that's what is playing now. My only concern is that Africa does not become a ground for another Cold War mm. between the West and the East. Mm. I mean, Russia is also um, a global power, and, you know, so is the U.S. as well. 
and there's they, they've had the longest run so far on who is what and what is not but I'm hoping, I don't know what it is, and I can't speak for any of these parties, but I'm hoping that, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war won't be extended to this part of the world because we have our own issues, and I think Africa should take charge of its future. You know, oftentimes when people say, oh, Africa is the youngest um, continent on the planet with a lot of potentials, it almost feels like we are the only ones who don't see the potentials we have, and we always run off um, to get handouts. And it just, you know, takes me back to the Paris summit where a lot of African leaders, um, Kenya, South Africa, um, I think Egypt too, but I think mainly South Africa and Kenya, oh, we're not begging and we're not asking for handouts and all. So I would imagine that the kind of partnership or, yeah, the partnerships that African countries have signed with Russia will be that that will be mutually beneficial and that that will put them in a hard place and then reinforces the con the notion of neocolonialism that is happening really on the continent. All right, so let's quickly move on to your latest trip to Kasina State. Um, you went to um, the border between Nigeria and Niger. So tell us what's the pulse on ground in this area? What are the residents in these border areas saying? What did they tell you? A quick summary of your, your latest trip. Yeah, people around those areas need a lot of love and light, and so do I, <laughs> because people are suffering. And like experts always say, sanctions that are not targeted will just be borne by the people. Mm. And that's what we see. So the sanctions were or are imposed on Niger but Nigerians are also bearing the brunt. Those border communities have come to a halt when it comes to business. There are no businesses anywhere. Businesses are not happening. Um, a family of, of nine who used to make an average of 20,000 daily mm -hmm. can barely make 3,000 today. Wow. That's over... That's over 90% decrease in daily income. And remember that Nigeria has half of its population living, Nigeria has half of its population living under poverty. And its neighbor Niger is one of the poorest countries in the world. Wow. So how do you beat that? How do you expect that people would survive? I was at Kwangalam, the border Kwangalam and Memujia. So Memujia is in Niger, and Kwangalam is in Nigeria, <laughs> it's in Katsina. Okay. And so you see how the names sound so similar. Mm -hmm. We speak the same language. The majority of people in Niger speak Hausa language, which is one of the major languages here in Nigeria. There's intermarriage between Nigerians and Niger Nigerians. There's trade relations. During the Civil War, Niger supported Nigeria, even when he was asked to support Biafra. So the relationship between the two countries runs far. And so you understand when Nigerians, when there's a, the, the feeling of betrayal comes in, oh, but we're supposed to be brothers and sisters. And uh, but the point is people over there are suffering. There are truckers who have people's goods, both perishable and non-perishable. 
parked at the borders. So I've been there for two weeks, one week, and still counting. So what will happen to people's businesses? What will happen to people's goods? Some people are carrying Gary from Benue going to um, Maradi in, in Niger. Some are going to Jibia, which is in Katsina, but it's a border community. But they've all been packed there. So whether or not you're going to Maradi, provided you have a truck coming in and heading to Jibia, the assumption is that you're going to Niger. And so you're packed there. And then it's also begging the question of marginalization of smaller ethnic groups. Now, I spoke to about three, four drivers who said they were heading to Jibia. And one of them asked, is Jibia in Nigeria or in Niger? Why am I not allowed to get to Jibia? And then he said he even questions if he is really a Nigerian sometimes. Because from Jibia to Katsina town is 40, about 40 kilometers. But from Jibia to Maradi, I think, he said it's 20 kilometers. But we have to verify those. But the point he was trying to make there is that he feels closer to people in Niger than Nigeria. people in Katsina, which is Nigeria. And so that's a challenge. But on the other side of the story are the border control officers who say that most of those people who say they are going to Jibia are lying because you end up finding that they go to the smuggle things into Niger. And so as part of their, their job, everybody just stay back, don't go anywhere. So who do you blame? I have the the the, the both groups have valid concerns, valid justifications for what they are doing, but in the end, how do we make sure that everyday people are not affected? Everyday people do not suffer more than they are already suffering, which people do not deserve actually. But so, how do we make sure that that happens? I was there in the five years, five days that I was there. I beg your pardon. Rain had fallen on some of the gari that was back there. Wow. And you know what happens when rain falls on gari? Mm. It begins to form mold and it's bad. So, yeah. That's a lot of money wasted. The drivers will have to pay for them. How does a driver who earns 20,000 naira, 40,000 naira, pay for a truckload of gari? That's it there. We'll pause here and take a quick break. Stay tuned. News beyond the surface. Investigations that uncover deep secrets. Analysis with thought-provoking perspectives. Reports that focus on human interest. Premium Times, a leading digital news platform, brings you these and more every hour through videos, written and podcast reports. Visit our website on www.premiumtimesng.com and follow us on all social media platforms for timely updates on politics, entertainment, sport and business. Don't miss out. Alright, so let's clear up this up. Um, this is a two-in-one question. There is the narrative of the North and South, as in, in Nigeria, where there are claims from Northerners that if the boundary were to be in the South, 
that the president, Tunubu, would not be taking as much or putting so much pressure as it is currently doing. Mm. Um, also bearing in mind that um, Arewa Economic um, Forum said northern traders are losing an average of um, 13 billion naira weekly since the Niger Republic shut its borders. So I mean, you've already highlighted some economic implications already on um, communities in around the border area. Aside this economic, or in addition to the economic um, implications, are there other implications, say security? What other implications did you see on ground? The implications for Nigeria and then for West Africa as well. Yeah, so there's a huge security implication in this for the Sahel. Over time, Niger has been seen as that buffer, that great partner in fighting um, jihadist rebellion in the Sahel, right? And they've worked very closely with the, um, the, the joint task force, you know, the one where there's Nigeria, Chad, Nigeria, and a couple of others in fighting insurgency. And they've been very instrumental in fighting Boko Haram. You know, people within the security um, sector will tell you that they share intelligence. As, as a matter of fact, there's an agreement with Nigeria that, you know, in chasing terrorists, bandits, and all, either of the countries can chase them 30 kilometers into the other's um, territory. But all that can happen now. Have, have there been questions on what happens to sharing intelligence now that our relationship is strained? So who is going to inform Niger that, oh, we have terrorists moving here? Mm. Watch out. Who is going to inform Nigeria that we have terrorists moving here? Watch out. Or are we going to talk about the proliferation of arm? Niger has been very, very instrumental as a buffer zone, you know, curtailing and cushioning the movement of arm from Libya to Nigeria. So what's going to happen to all of that? What's going to happen to the fight against insurgency, which has terribly plagued Nigeria over the years? And Niger as well. And the Sahel generally. So what's going to happen? That's a question I don't see a lot of, you know, conversations answering. So when I say a lot of conversation, I mean a lot of conversation within ECOWAS and within the African Union. I guess it's also, I, 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 I think people have also forgotten that the African Union gave a 15 days ultimatum to, to the, the coupies in, in Niger, which expired on Friday. And nothing has been said so far. What is going to happen? What do we need to do to solve the challenge? I mean, I have a lot of opinions, which maybe a few persons share, but I'm just going to keep my opinions away from this. All right. So finally, um, the co-leaders have decided to speak with members of ECOWAS. Um, what are the demands from both parties and do you see any form of alignment with their demands? Well, honestly, I think ECOWAS started on the wrong foot and have probably boxed themselves into a corner. But great a thing that religious, cultural leaders came into the picture and intervened, which is the outcome of the meeting that happened on Saturday with the Nigerian intervention team. And this, um, the Junta group or the coup 
leaders have agreed to dialogue with ECOWAS. Now, the question is, what would they be demanding? Earlier today, we've learned that they said they'll be prosecuting um, President Bazoum for jeopardizing internal and external security, something along that line. So, I think, what I don't know what their, their demands are, but I'd imagine that one of the demands would be Bazoum has to leave, he can't be president anymore, and then ECOWAS would propose transitional government. So let's have a timetable. How do we move? What do you want? And then they start to make demands. And you know, like every other coup, there's always, oh, people are suffering. Uh, there's a political economic dimension of, for the coup, or reason rather, for the coup. You didn't lead us well, insecurity, low standard of living, and all of that. So, I mean, these two things I'm sure of, they wouldn't want Bazoom back. And maybe Chani will continue and say, okay, this is how long before we um, move it back to what it used to be. And you see, he's already formed a government. So he's ready for government. That's what it means. He has a prime minister already, and he has a complete government with 21 people. So he's ready. Ecowas will only ask for, we ask to take Bazoom okay. into bring him and protect him and his family for them to recover because they are really sick. Him, his wife and the son, Salem, uh, they are really sick and they've lost a lot of weight. They've not been feeding, they've not had food and all. So, of course, that's one thing. Give Bazoom to us. So Bazoom would most likely become debate or the object of negotiation. So before we give Bazoom to you, this is what we want. Okay, give us Bazoom, we'll give this to you. So that's what will happen. But ultimately, I think there's going to be a transition timetable as per usual. Now, what happens after that is what I don't know. But this is what I, I'd like to say. I think ECOWAS as a sub-regional bloc should, after the negotiations with Niger, move to address the root causes of coups within the region. Mm. That's very important. That's very important. And that was part of the conversation I had with, um, part of the interview, rather, I had with the ECOWAS, the speaker for the ECOWAS parliament. You know, when I asked the question, beyond this, what's going to be the next step? And he said, oh, the next step will be reviewing the nature of our relationship with the West and also you know, Africa needs to benefit from its own resources. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So ultimately, it's, it's a scarcity of, so if you put it, economists say, oh, when resources are scarce, people struggle for scarce resources, and conflict happens. I think the bulk of Africa's problem is we have the resources costs. We have a lot of resources, but look at how poor we are. Okay, this is what would wrap up today's um, um, episode. Um, thank you so much, Yamaka, for making it a third time to this podcast. We so much appreciate your input. Thank you. Your expert input. Thank you. On issues <laughs> regarding um, foreign affairs and the diaspora.
Thank you, Titi. Thanks for having me. I hope you had a great time with us. And make sure you keep it a date with us every Thursday at 11 a.m. on um, Premium Times' podcast. Again, this show is brought to you by Premium Times, a leading multimedia news platform, which serves you every minute stories that can help you make informed decisions and hold public officials, individuals, and organizations accountable. We have cartoons, videos, podcasts, and other interesting content for your delight. And for timely updates on politics, entertainment, sports, and business, do visit our website www.premiertimesng.com and follow us on all our social media platforms. I'll be here again, same time, same day next week. And for myself, Tilokwe Fadari and Chiamaka Okafo, do have a great weekend. News beyond the surface. Investigations that uncover deep secrets. Analysis with thought-provoking perspectives. Reports that focus on human interest. Premium Times, a leading digital news platform, brings you these and more every hour through videos, written and podcast reports. Visit our website on www.premiumtimesng.com and follow us on all social media platforms for timely updates on politics, entertainment, sport and business. Don't miss out.